Welcome to the Abridged Presidential Histories with Kenny Ryan, episode 35B, an interview on Joe Kennedy with David Nassau. I'm excited to welcome David Nassau to the show today. David is the Arthur M. Schlesinger Jr. Distinguished Professor of History at the City University of New York Graduate Center. He's also the author of numerous awesome biographies and books, including The Patriarch about Joe Kennedy, which is perfect because Joe Kennedy is who we're going to talk about today. Uh, Welcome to the show, David. Glad to be here. What inspired your interest in Joe Kennedy? You know, this is one of the, um, I'm embarrassed to say it, but it was not my idea. Um, (laughs) I, one of my colleagues at the uh, CUNY Graduate Center was Arthur Schlesinger, Jr., who Mm -hmm. was a very good friend and worked for all the Kennedys. Yeah. I used to go to parties. My wife and I would go to parties at Arthur's house, in in large part because we brought down the average age of about 30 (laughs) years. We would go to these parties, and one of the people who was always at these parties was Gene Kennedy Smith. Um, So I got to know her. I also got to know Lauren Bacall, who trusted me at some point. She came into the party and handed me her dog and then (laughs) disappeared for hours. And I walked around with this silly little dog. Um, But I got to know Jean Kennedy Smith. um, And I had finished and published my biography of um, William Randolph Hearst, mm-hmm. who was a big bad guy. Mm. And I treated him as fairly as I could, as justly as I could. The biographer is not God passing judgment. The biographer is a historian who tells a story, warts and all. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't pick out villains and heroes. And For some reason, the Kennedy family had decided that they wanted a biography of their father. Interesting. And Gene Kennedy Smith took me aside after the party and said, um, in the ways that Kennedy family members say, they they don't ask questions, they make declarations. (laughs) Uh, The declaration was, we, the family wants you to write biography of our father. And I said, well, I'm busy now. I'm I'm working on something else. And Gene said, well, when will that be finished? I said, I don't know, maybe six months months to the day. We got a phone call from Ted Kennedy. And at first my wife thought it was a Kennedy impersonator. (laughs) Um, But it was, it was the Senator. Yeah. And he said, when can you come to Washington to talk about the biography? <laughs> um, so I, he said, Monday is always a good day. He said, I bring my dog because to the, you know, it's the, the Senate's not in session, you know, come, mm. we'll have lunch. So I went to see him uh, in his office with his dog. <laughs> um, forget what, some kind of a non-allergic dog. Okay. Hypoallergenic, yeah. Yeah. We we had lunch. Um, his family and his staff were trying to keep his weight down. So he had ah, the saddest looking tuna fish sandwich I've ever seen on one piece of bread. 
<laughs> I got two pieces of bread and uh, potato chips. And we talked and yeah. talked and talked and talked. We must have been there for th three or four hours. <clears throat> and I said over and over again, you don't want me to write this book. I said, I'm a historian. What matters most to me is my reputation among my peers hmm. or truth-telling. Um, I'm not going to leave out anything I find. Mm -hmm. And the senator said, that's okay. We all know that my father had affairs. We know this. Mm -hmm. We know that. Mm -hmm. He said, and whatever you write is going to be better than the stories that are already out there. Hmm. So I said, okay. I said, but, but here are my conditions. One, nobody in the family, none of your lawyers or consultants will read the book until it appears in print. Hmm. And I want complete access to everything. Yeah. I want access to family members, to individuals who work with your father, to friends, and to all the collected papers, which were then under lock and key at the Kennedy Library. And Ted said, fine. He said, you know, my sister, who's in New York, where the family lawyers are, will be in touch and will write up an agreement. It took a year. It took a year before I got that agreement. Wow. My agents and I hired lawyers yeah. to deal with their lawyers. We sent drafts back and forth. I was convinced this was never going to happen. <laughs> and then I got a letter from the senator who said, I, I had expected that there would be an agreement. I would sign it. Family yeah. would sign it. Instead, again, I got a declaration from the <laughs> senator who said, on behalf of the family, we want you to write the book. And, you know, and then they met all the conditions. I love how the story behind the book is as fascinating as Joe Kennedy himself is to me. When I started reading about Joe Kennedy in, in the biographies and histories, uh, this is a guy. He became a millionaire and then fathered a political dynasty. And it, all at it, like a young age, struck his riches. How was he able to do that? In your research, in your talking to his family, what did you find was kind of the secret sauce that made Joe Kennedy's success possible? There, you know, he had, I, I've written three biographies of big guys, Andrew Carnegie, Hearst, and, and Kennedy. What they all had was this extraordinary confidence in their own abilities. Mm -hmm. um, that confidence was fueled by early successes. Mm -hmm. That confidence was fueled I guess by uh, parents who loved and supported them, especially mm -hmm. mothers. Mm -hmm. um, Kennedy never doubted himself. And he took chances. Um, he knew what he wanted. Mm. He wanted to make enough money so that his children would never have to make money. He mm. wanted to make enough money so his children could go into public service. Mm. The men into politics, the boys into politics, mm. the women into some other form of, of public service, and no one would ever have to worry about money. 
he was a firm believer in capitalism, mm-hmm. in free enterprise. Um, he followed the money or the trail of money and, and succeeded. Mm-hmm. You know, let, let, me, let me give you one example. Um, he was, you know, in Boston and he figured out long before anybody else, one of his early jobs was at an investment company and the people with money, people with money who were investing in entertainment or media believed that the flickers, moving pictures, mm, mm. were for the poor people. Mm. And poor people didn't have enough money to make this a thriving business. Kennedy saw immediately, immediately, mm-hmm. because Kennedy was an insider and an outsider at the same time. He was an Irish Catholic from East Boston, mm-hmm. not an aristocrat. He did right. not grow up a poor boy, right? but he was not part of the Brahmin Boston establishment. He saw immediately that this was a business that was going to take off. He made his first movie, or tried to make his first movie with <laughs> Babe Ruth, who was then playing in Boston. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And he thought, you know, how can I lose? He put a lot of money into it. Ruth eventually just said, no, I've I'm, I'm got no interest in this. Uh, but Kennedy kept at it. Kept at it. Um, he made his money a new-fashioned way. Hmm. He realized very early that this was the age, you know, the teens and the 20s mm-hmm. were the age of the stock market and of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. And when he went out to Hollywood as a yeah. producer and as a motion picture executive, and he worked for any number of big companies um, in the back office as the president, as the CEO, including mm-hmm. Paramount. He told them, I, want a, I don't want a big salary. I want an expense account and I want stock options. Mm-hmm. And he used those stock options. Yeah. He used those stock options to make tons of money. He knew how to manipulate the market. He knew when to buy. He knew when to sell. He knew when to go short. He knew when to go long. Yeah. He knew how to play the market. And when he left Hollywood, for you know, not very long. Yeah. When he left Hollywood, he had accumulated millions of dollars. He was a millionaire. He was a millionaire before he was thirty. It's wild. And early in his career, early in this period, before he's a millionaire, he marries Rose Fitzgerald, the eldest daughter of Boston Mayor Honey Fitz, which is a fantastic name, uh, nickname. What doors did that open for Joe? You know, and, and what was his marriage with Rose like as he's you know making all his, his start? 
Yeah, he was um, he was a go getter. Um, <laughs> he, he married Rose not simply to to boost his future career. Mm-hmm. Um, he married Rose because they had so much in common. Mm. They were both Irish Catholics. They were both insider outsiders. Yeah. Uh, Joe's father was a very prominent and important Boston politician. You know, in, in some of the stories later told about Joe, they say his father was a saloon keeper. No, no. He owned a bank. He had real estate enterprises. He owned, you know, oil and gas companies. Uh, and he was a very, very important, as an elected official, and as the man behind the scenes, force in Boston politics. Uh, he wasn't always on the same side as Honey Fitz, mm. but Honey's daughter Rose and Joe met when they were teenagers oh, um, at a beach where the Irish Catholic politicians used to go and spend weeks during the summer. Um, Rose was beautiful, mm. petite, smart. Mm. Educated, mm-hmm. witty, <laughs> uh, and she just happened to be the mayor's daughter. Uh, <laughs> the the mayor was against the marriage, not you know because Joe Kennedy's father, Pat, had yeah. been his political opponent. Um, but once the two of them decided they wanted to get married, you know it was in all the papers. It mm. was a joining of two political powerhouses. The marriage began with fanfare. The first son born, Joseph P. Kennedy, was proclaimed by his grandfather to be the next or the first Catholic president of the United States. Um, Joe Kennedy made the decision very early that he was not going to go into politics. Politics was dirty. Interesting. Politics was nasty. Politics meant you had to spend a lot of time shaking hands and hanging out with people you didn't want to hang out with. Um, He wanted to go into into business, and, and he did go into business um, yeah. right out of Harvard. Uh, it, it was not a, <laughs> how can I put this? It was not a particularly, it was a long-lasting and difficult marriage. And, and you mentioned the, you mentioned the affairs. You mentioned some of this. That's part of the difficult marriage. So Joe's career, as you mentioned, it kind of blasts off like a rocket. He's making millions in the stock market. He's going to get into Hollywood. He's married the mayor's daughter. But then World War I happens. What was Joe up to during the war? You know, we, we got to remember a couple of things. One, Joseph Kennedy was an Irish Catholic. Yeah. Um, he had been brought up in an Irish Catholic household and an Irish Catholic community. He, not unlike other Irish Catholics, believed that World War I 
was about rescuing the British and the British Empire. Oh, interesting. From Germany. He yeah. saw yeah. the war, and again, he's not alone. As a European civil war, there are two powers. There are the Germans and there are the English. And they are fighting for supremacy, not only in Europe, but more importantly, in Africa and Asia. Um, and to Joe Kennedy, the idea of Americans going off to fight to save the damn British, you know, why? Why right. risk our riches? Why risk, you know, our our youth to do this? Um, and he he was pretty clear about that. Yeah. Um, he was smart enough to know he wasn't going to be a draft resistor. He was going to find another way out. Yeah, yeah. First, he had children, you know, but yeah. that didn't work. He had a former mayor who did everything he could to get him, you know, out of the draft or exempted. Yeah. That didn't work. Um, so he took a war job. He took a job working for a Bethlehem Steel, which was producing mm. battleships for the mm. war. And, and that got him his exemptions. Um, it also got him to meet a lot of important people, including Franklin Roosevelt, who was Secretary of the Navy, who we yeah. um, established a relationship as a manager. He worked really, really hard during the war, um, producing ships at uh, the Four River um, construction plant for, for Bethlehem, um, and stayed out of the war. So it's, it's interesting. We have Joe Kennedy. He thinks politics is dirty, and he doesn't love the Brits. So how does he wind up the ambassador to England? Yeah, it's a, it's a great story. It, it's a, you know, it's a... Franklin Roosevelt had a sense of humor. <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't often think of, think of that. Franklin Roosevelt was supported by Kennedy. Yeah. Kennedy had two important ties or connections that Roosevelt needed if he was going to win the nomination for the presidency in 32 and defeat Hoover. Um, one connection was with the Hollywood bigwigs and all their money. Mm. Second connection was with the Irish Catholic community. Mm-hmm. Um, Kennedy supported Roosevelt because he was convinced he was convinced that Roosevelt would find a way out of the Depression mm, mm-hmm. and that Hoover was absolutely clueless. Yeah. So Kennedy supports Roosevelt and then expects when the war is over, you know, he's going to get a big job. He doesn't in the beginning. Right. He goes home and he fumes. <laughs> He, he had put Roosevelt in touch with Hearst, and Hearst had supported Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. And, and Hearst and Kennedy sent letters back and forth. You know, what the hell is going on? You know, Roosevelt doesn't invite Hearst to the White House, and he yeah. doesn't give Kennedy a job. <laughs> doesn't this guy know so, how patronage works? Come on. <laughs> yeah, right. Until 1934. Yeah. Um, as one of the New Deal <coughs> initiatives, Roosevelt decides he's going to set up something called the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. The only way 
that he's going to get the nation out of the depression is if Americans start investing in stocks and bonds again. Hmm. They've taken all their savings out. They're afraid of Wall Street. Wall right. Street had crashed. But now they've got to get their money back in for the economy to start moving. Right. So he, again, is, is a, almost as a joke, he invites Kennedy, the ultimate stock swindler, to be the head of the SEC. His associates in the White House said, what, are you crazy? Mm -hmm. This is the stupidest idea. Roosevelt says, no. Kennedy knows. Kennedy knows all the tricks. Kennedy knows where all the bodies are buried. You know? And Kennedy is absolutely brilliant as the SEC commissioner. Kennedy ends up... <coughs> <coughs> protecting Wall Street, saving mm -hmm. Wall Street, and in the process, he outlaws all the tricks of the trade that had enabled him to make his millions of dollars. Short selling, um, lying in prospectuses. Um, well, making, of lying. <laughs> making false statements. Um, he regulates Wall Street in a new way that wins back the confidence of the American people in the, and investment starts coming in again. But Kennedy, having eliminated all <clears throat> the methods he had made to make, he had used to make his fortune from the middle thirties on gets out of the stock market. Right. And starts investing in real estate, in oil, and in some blue chip companies. Um, Kennedy had done a brilliant job. And then he does a second brilliant job. He becomes the chair of the Maritime Commission because Roosevelt knows war is coming and America needs ships. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the coup de grace, um, Roosevelt, names Kennedy as the ambassador to Great Britain, the first Irishman ever <laughs> to be ambassador to Great Britain. It sent shockwaves um, through bet. London, through New York, yeah. on both sides of the Atlantic. And Kennedy is, you know, is brilliant. He arrives in London. The second day he's there, he goes to play golf, uh, scores a hole in one. So this beginning <laughs> of, of child as an ambassador. Within a couple of weeks, his family arrives. He parades with his eight children or seven children. Joe Jr. is still at Harvard. He can't come. Um, you know, and, and he is fabulously, um, admired and received, hmm. but for a very brief time, hmm. mm -hmm. because Kennedy, Joe Kennedy believes 
that there is no way under God's name that the British are going to succeed in a war against the Germans. Remember, the, the Soviets are not in the war yet. Yeah. So this, we're so talking we're, late 1930s, war in Europe started. 1940, right? Yeah. Kennedy is the ambassador, and yeah. Kennedy advises Roosevelt, don't send aid to Great Britain. Wow. Don't send arms because they're going to end up in the hands of the Germans. Wow. And God forbid, don't ever imagine sending American troops. Wow. Um, the British, Kennedy does not keep secret his feeling. He, he's not like, like Lindbergh. Lindbergh's a Nazi lover. Right. Kennedy doesn't like the Nazis. He doesn't like Hitler. Right. Kennedy believes in capitalism and democracy. It's made him rich. It's going to make his children rich. He doesn't want, you know, a Nazi takeover. But on the other hand, he believes that if the United States of America sends aid to Great Britain or enters the war, mm -hmm. it will mark a return to depression that this time the United States is never going to get out of. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and, and he makes his views known. Yeah. And the English turn on him. Yeah. Immediately in the press, the public, they want Kennedy out of there. Um, and after a couple of years, in, after the Blitz, Kennedy yeah. wants out. Yeah. And he returns to the United States and then engages in this isolationist hmm. rant um, in which he gives interviews after he returns. Yeah. He, he gives interviews to local Boston newspapers. Then he goes out to Hollywood. And among other things, he blames the Jews. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. He says American Jews want a war. And he, and he says this to Hollywood executives, 80% of whom are Jewish. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, it's, you know, it's unreal. He's, he's going off the skids. Why? Because he is convinced now. He's yeah. operating out of fear. Mm. Out of fear that everything he's built mm -hmm. and wants to give to his children, that American capitalism, American democracy, is going to be decimated by a war against Germany. There are so many interesting ironies there. One, that he's wrong, that America will win the war, that'll be good for the economy, but also that he will lose his oldest son in that war. And in a sense, he will lose so much of what he thought the future was. So it's a you, fascinating you know, dark place he went to. You're absolutely right. He, you know, he, he returns when Pearl Harbor comes, mm. like every other American, he you know, supports the war. How can he not support the war? After, yeah, after we're attacked, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, Hitler does Roosevelt and Kennedy right. a great favor by declaring war. We don't declare war on Germany. Right. 
Germany declares war on us. Yeah. Okay. Um, and now Joe Kennedy is in this terrible position where his, his boys want to go fight. <coughs> and he knows that, you know, if they ever want political careers, they have to go. Mm, Joe, yeah. Kennedy enters, Joe Kennedy enters an elite Air Force unit. He learns how to fly. Joe Jr., yeah. Joe Jr., I'm sorry. Um, Jack wants to enter the Navy, but Jack's physical condition, his back is so bad, the rest of them yeah. that he's turned down in his physical. And, and Joe intervenes. Right. uses influence to get him into the Navy. And Bobby Kennedy at the time is a, you know, was a kid, but as soon as he turns old enough, he wants to enlist. Mm-hmm. And, and at some point, Joe Kennedy writes a note. He says, I hope this war is over soon. He says, before Teddy decides he wants to go into the army. Teddy's, you know, yeah. nine yeah. year old at the time. Um, and, and the war, you're so right to point out these ironies. Um, Kennedy loses near everything during the war. He loses his oldest son, who he has anointed as you know, the carrier of the torch, the next yeah. or the first Irish Catholic president. He loses his daughter, Mm. who Mm -hmm. marries a Protestant and stays in England and then is killed in a plane crash. Yeah. His son Jack comes back totally ruined Mm. with malaria, emaciated with chronic colitis, uh, with back problems. Nobody believes Jack, Jack, nobody believed Jack was going to live long enough, you know, to run for office, nonetheless be president. Yeah. Um, And Joe Kennedy's life in public is finished now because no one is going to forget what he said about the war. No one is going to forget his isolationism. No one is going to forget that in Hollywood he told Jewish mm. producers, you know, don't say anything bad about Hitler, you know, because <laughs> wow. if a war is fought yeah. to protect the Jews of Germany, the Jews of America are going to be blamed. Mm. Uh, I mean, what arrogant nonsense. Mm-hmm. It later comes out that Joe Kennedy had tried to meet with Hitler. Oh my God! I did negotiate a peace agreement. Yeah, I, I write about it in the in the biography. Um, he never told the White House. He never told the British. But he arranged. He had several meetings with um, <coughs> high officials in the Hitler's regime, and tried to set up a meeting and negotiate a peace treaty. You know, Hitler would let up on the Jews and the Americans would supply Hitler with the currency he needed and the oil he needed. Uh, A fool's errand, if ever there were one.
I'm curious. One of the things that fascinates me about Joe is, is he seems to have all the things that you would need to run for president yourself if you wanted to. Is this experience during the war, this burning of credibility, is that the reason that he it's his sons and not him? Or why is it? Why is it that he wants his son to be the first Irish Catholic American president and not himself? He's got too much baggage and he knows it. Mm. Um, he's got mistresses. <laughs> his sons do too. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's worried that... Um, no, you're right. His sons, but his sons are much more discreet. Than, <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, and his sons didn't, you know, have long-term relationships with movie stars as he did. Um, but, but more than that, yeah. um, he knows that it's not time yet for an Irish Catholic president. Oh, interesting. He understands that. He, he understands that. And and I don't know that he ever wants to be president he'd much rather be the power behind the throne yeah than than sit on the throne and and he knows that he's you know he's too outspoken he's too he can be too volatile mm-hmm. you know there was there's no one who can work who could work a room like he could I mean, yeah. he would walk into a room he would greet everybody. Everybody would, would love him. But then the next day, he would say something in the newspapers <laughs> that was, you know, that, that was volatile. And everybody knew about his, his background right. um, in Hollywood and as a, you know, as a stock swindler. Right, right. That's, that probably wasn't a popular way to have made your money after the Depression. No. Yeah. So Joe would succeed in making one of his sons president, John F. Kennedy, of course, elected to the White House in 1960. How instrumental was Joe to Jack's journey? And and what are some of the moments where you really see Joe put the thumb on the scale for his son? Yeah. Uh, In 1946, Jack Kennedy decides to run for Congress. He decides to run for Congress from his grandfather's old district, Honey Fitz's district in Mm, Boston, Cambridge. Uh, He had no business doing that. (laughs) He he had not lived in, he had never lived in that district. Oh, wow. He had not been in Boston since he was a kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he had... Didn't know what else to do with his life. Hmm. He had thought he might want to be a professor. He might want to be a journalist. He might want to be a writer. Mm-hmm. Nothing had panned out. And politics, certainly on his mother's side, was the family business. Mm-hmm. So he decided to go into, into politics in 1946. When you look at this guy, when you look at campaign photos, it's frightening how skinny he is, how how you know, totally emaciated. You yeah. can't imagine that this guy is going to succeed. Uh, Joe moves from Palm Beach back to Boston, rents a hotel room, and essentially runs the campaign. And he's brilliant. Mm-hmm. He says to Jack, you got to run as a veteran. Mm-hmm. And 
you got to join the VFW, you got to join the American Legion. More than that, you've got to run not only as a veteran, but as a veteran whose brother was killed during the war. Wow. And whose mother is a gold star mother. Gold yeah. star mother is someone who's lost a child. Right. Yeah. And then he hires, you know, he, he has reprinted a New Yorker piece that John Hersey, a friend of Jack's, had written about his service in the war in the PT boat he commanded. Yeah. He has hundreds of thousands of copies made of that and distributed to everyone in the district. Um, he sets the stage for the campaign, sets the major issues, funds the campaign, but, and this is a very, very, very important, but Jack Kennedy turns out to have a work ethic that no one had ever seen before that. Yeah. Joe's major problem during that campaign is to preserve Jack's health. Mm, mm -hmm. And there are numerous letters, notes, telephone calls to Jack's major aides saying, make sure Jack eats breakfast. <laughs> make sure Jack has a nap. Yeah. Make sure Jack doesn't climb too many stairs. Yeah. Um, but Jack out campaigns everyone. Yeah. He works... He's up at five in the morning. He campaigns from six in the morning to 10 o'clock at night, every night. He pulls in his family to campaign with him. The entire family shows up. Um, the campaign is successful in 46. In 48, Jack is reelected. Mm -hmm. He's not a very good congressman because mm -hmm. <laughs> you know he doesn't much care. Um, he's set his sights higher. Yeah, and you know a couple of things happen. Joe supports him when it's ready to, when he's ready to run for the Senate. Mm -hmm. Um. When in the, there's a, when, when Jack decides that he's going to try to be uh, Adlai Stevenson's vice president, mm -hmm. Joe says, don't do it. Don't do it because Stevenson's going to lose and they're going to blame it on the Irish Catholic kid. Um, but when Jack decides to go ahead and try to get the nomination, you know, mm -hmm. Joe supports him. Hmm. Joe supports him. Joe's with him all the way. Yeah. By 1960, by, in 1959, 1960, um, Joe convenes a family meeting hmm. at Hayala's Port. And he says, Stevenson's lost twice, yeah. but we've learned a lot about how to run a campaign. I don't even know if it's 59, it may be 58. Mm -hmm. And he said, I want everybody to know that Jack is gonna run for the presidency 
and I will support him every way. I'll give him everything I've got. And Bobby makes a joke. And Bobby says, well, what about the rest of us? We'll need money too. And, <laughs> you know, everybody laughs. Um, and Joe funds that campaign. Now, yeah. what's important to know, though, okay, and we again, we can't forget it, is that by 1960... <coughs> By 1960, Jack and Bobby knew more about politics than Joe. Mm. And Joe was smart enough. So in 1946, Joe ran the campaign. Yeah. By 1960, Joe knows that he's toxic. <laughs> there is never, yes. if, you, if you take a look at all the campaign photos, there is never a, yeah. a photograph, there may be one, of Joe, yeah. of father and son standing together. Right. Okay, yeah. Joe hides out in Florida. He talks on the phone every day with one boy or the other. Yeah. Um, but he stays out of the limelight. Um, now, Joe has been, you know, accused of manipulating the vote in mm. Texas and in Illinois. Mm -hmm. So his son wins. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, that's just nonsense. It's nonsense. Why would Joe interfere when Mayor Daly controlled Illinois? Right. And Lyndon Johnson, Texas. Yeah. You know? It's other guys to look at if, if there's you know, anything happening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Joe's money wins the nomination for Kennedy. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> in, in West Virginia, because mm -hmm. he just throws all the money in, gets all the advisors. Mm -hmm. They make a fool out of Humphrey. Mm -hmm. um, but when it comes time for the general electorate, um, Joe, again, stands back and lets the boys uh, run the campaign. And they do so brilliantly again. Yeah. yeah. So in, in 1960, he... He realizes this long time dream. His son is elected in 1961, Inauguration Day. His son becomes president. And then later that year, one of the great tragedies of the story, Joe suffered a stroke that left him half paralyzed. And he died eight years later. No, you can't make this stuff up. Yeah. You can't make this stuff up. More than that, I mean, the day of the election. Yeah. Election day, Joe and Kennedy's advisors and the press believed that Kennedy was going to win by a landslide. Right, right. Nixon yeah. was unpopular <laughs> candidate. You yeah. Know, he had lost the television debates. Yep. The public was ready, having had eight years of Republicans to elect a Democrat. Kennedy had been a brilliant campaigner, and the consensus was he was going to run away with the election. He didn't. Mm -hmm. He didn't. It's a squeaker. Bobby and Jack and Joe stayed up, waiting for the election to turn, and, and it didn't. Um, Bobby stayed up. Jack went to sleep. Joe went to sleep. They didn't know that they had won the election until at about at dawn, 
secret servicemen began to appear <laughs> around and circle Jack's house. Wow. <laughs> the perimeter around the house. And at that point, they knew that Jack had won the election. Wow. Nixon, yeah. son of a bitch, <laughs> refused to concede. And Joe wants to celebrate this election, as does Jack, but they mm. can't do it until Nixon concedes. Nixon <laughs> finally, you know, late in the morning and the early afternoon, sends out a press representative. Nixon doesn't have the guts to do it himself and congratulate Kennedy and says, you know, we can see. Um, the family goes to the local... I don't know what it is, Hall or American Legion Hall in Hyannis um, to hold the first press conference mm -hmm. and to greet the public, Kennedy as president-elect. And as they all get ready and get in the limousines to go, um, Joe holds back. He says, I don't want to go. And the family corrals him. And Jackie yeah. grabs him and takes him to the limousine. And and a couple of the reporters note that up on the dais on the stage, yeah, where the whole family is sitting, Jack looks, you know, tired but ebullient. So does the rest of the family, except for Joe. Hmm. Joe looks devastated and tired as if his son had lost. Hmm. And later that day, Joe makes it clear that he's furious. He's furious. And he's furious because he sees the results and he sees that the Catholic Church hierarchy, which supported Nixon, not Kennedy. Oh my gosh. Had caused the election to be as close as it was. So it, it split the Catholic vote? It's It split the, the Kennedy, Johnson wins a, a larger percentage of the Catholic vote than Kennedy did. Wow. And moreover, moreover, Jack, Joe realizes that although his son is going to be the first Catholic president, mm -hmm. the prejudice against a Catholic as such in the United States of America, hmm. that it could have been overcome by an overwhelming Catholic vote, but it was not. Hmm. And, and Kennedy, Jack Kennedy says, you know, ironically, he says, if it wasn't for the Jewish vote, my son never would have been elected president. That's an irony. And, and Kennedy, Joe remains angry with the church, with Cardinal Spellman in particular, yeah. you know, uh, for the rest of his life. And a year, his son is inaugurated. Joe doesn't come to the White House because he doesn't want anyone to think, because his, his son right. is, in addition to everything else, awfully young. Yeah. So Joe doesn't want anybody to think that, you know, he's the real president. He, right. Jackie convinces him to come for one of the kids' birthday parties, but otherwise he stays away. He goes to France for lengthy periods and stays in Florida. And then suffers 
a massive, massive stroke. And in this turn of events that, you know, if, if I were writing fiction, no one would believe it. Right. Um, one of the consequences of the stroke is that the most garrulous, articulate, charming speaker the world had ever known loses the ability to communicate entirely. Mm -hmm. He can't speak, he can't write. Nobody knows what he can hear, mm. what he can absorb. The one word he can speak is no. Huh. No. And when the family learns to interpret what he yeah. means, if they put a blanket on him, yeah. or if they say, do you want the television on? Yeah. And he wants it on, he'll say no, which means yes. Because <laughs> it's the only word he it's can get Wow. If he wants the television turned off, or he wants something that they put a blanket on him, he doesn't want the blanket, he will bellow, no! Oh my gosh. Yeah. And in the beginning, while well, there are a few moments in which, you know, he, he plays cards with the Secret Service men. He... So he can use his hands? He, yeah. He, he can use his, his, his one side. I, don't, right. I, I think it's right side. He can, he can use one of his hands. Can't walk. Right. The family tries to get him rehabilitated, but it, it, it doesn't work. He swims a little bit. Huh. Um, water holds him up. Yeah. Um, and then Jack is assassinated. Yeah. And his life changes dramatically. And then Bobby is assassinated in his life. Yeah. Ends. Um, so it is a frightening, horrible ending to a life with its ups and downs, but a life well lived. Do we have any sense of if he was mentally aware enough to understand the tragedies that befell his family when first Jack and then five years later Bobby were assassinated? Yeah. 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 He understood. That's horrifying. He understood. When when Jack was killed, Teddy and Eunice went down to tell him before they got there. They told Rose and everybody in the family um, turn off all the television sets. Get mm. them out of the wall because we want to tell him. And Joe complained, you know, because he always watched television. You know, why isn't this set working? Why isn't this set working? You know, there oh, can he speak a little more now? No. But he could point. Got he could it. Point, got he, it. He could make known what he wanted. Got it. Got it. And. Teddy and Eunice arrived the next morning, uh, and you know Ted says it's the most difficult moment of his life. Yeah. Except the next time with Bobby. Yeah. 
and he told his father and his father just at first was was silent and then burst into tears and he just wept and wept and wept wow it's it's hard to imagine isn't it it is it's hard to imagine you know he outlived joe mm. and jack mm-hmm. and kick mm-hmm. his daughter yeah and the fourth child was you know had been lobotomized right, right. yeah and was living away from the family uh, I mean and then Ted had suffered this horrible air accident hmm. um, so the thing that mattered most to him had been the things that mattered most to him had been taken away it's a tragedy unlike any other just yeah. the tremendous rise the success and then the suffering and pain at the end of it the last question i have for you is every parent wants to give the world to their children joe kennedy did what can we learn from the patriarch joe kennedy look i i think in in the end we we learned something rather in, incredible this is the only dynasty in which Joe says to his kids um, Joe says to his kids look I want you to serve the public good I want you to serve the public good I don't want you to make money Mm -hmm. I don't want you to be bankers or brokers entrepreneurs I've made all this money Mm-hmm. So you can give back, um, and that's remarkable. It is. You look at the Kennedy family down to the, you know, the current generation, um, and that ethos of public service that Joe bequeathed has gone from generation to generation to generation, uh, and there's there's something to learn from that. And to admire and celebrate. Thank you so much. If you've enjoyed this interview with David and want to learn more about Joe Kennedy, please pick up his book, The Patriarch, from a bookstore near you. He also has a new book. His latest book is The Last Million, Europe's Displaced Persons from World War to Cold War. Thank you so much for your time, David. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Abridged Presidential Histories. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, tell your friends and family about the show, and write a five-star review on Apple Podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can up on Patreon or go directly to www.patreon.com slash abridgedpresidentialhistories. This helps me buy books and pay to the show, and thank you so much to everyone who's contributed so far. The music in today's podcast is a public domain recording of the United States Army Old Guard Pipe and Drum Corps. In our next episode, John F. Kennedy once joked to an aide, the worse I do, the more popular I get. To this day, he has the highest average approval rating of all American presidents since polls began in the age of FDR. How did he do it? We'll talk to our old friend Harold Holzer, author of The Presidents vs. the Press, the endless battle between the White House and the media from the founding fathers to fake news about how Kennedy charmed the press and the nation. 
That's coming up next time on Abridged Presidential Histories.